Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Ladies, gentlemen, everybody else between and outside and around of that. Boys and girls, <laughs> welcome to Curious Anarchy. Um, I'm joined by Mark. How are you, Mark? Woo, woo, woo. Uh, Jermaine, silky smooth. Uh, Gregory, it's a pleasure to be with you as a Curious Anarchy way of life. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So today we're going to do a Curious Muse. Um, there has been some significant little drops of news in terms of the uh, parliamentary race, um, as well as some other things, some other bits and pieces from around and outside of that taking place this last couple of days, I think it's been. Um, so yeah, Mark, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, Jermaine, is that uh, the selection for the new leader of the Conservative Party of, of the United Kingdom, uh, which has come about because uh, the resignation of the former Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson, for the first time that we can remember a, a politician, a, a member of Parliament, a leader of the, of the House, a leader of the party, resigning because of his actions and morality rather than over a specific policy, which is normally the case. Um, so what we've got following that is that the Conservative Party, in the way that it elects its leadership, seems to be in favour of proportional representation, which is uh, the people that get the biggest votes go forward, and then you have a another run of the, 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 the leading vote people until you narrow it down to two, and then you have a, a winner. That is a that is a luxury that is not afforded the country, so that smaller groups like the Green Party don't have a chance at all of winning an election because the mecha party mechanism is not big enough compared to the money and investment in things like the Conservative and Labour parties. So it's very interesting that they have a schizophrenic approach to elections and to democracy. It's okay for their party, it's not okay for their country. So what we've seen today... Just, just, just for... Um... I don't know if it's legality or, or, or ah! liability. The, the use of schizo schizophrenic is a kind of, uh, it's a word that shouldn't really be used. In the okay, sorry, I, I, I replaced that. Because it's not a medical thing, right? Sorry, I replaced that with the term very schizophrenic. Um, because it's extreme schizophrenia that they're showing, where they, they have a complete and utter um, different brain set for a national election and for a a p election within their own party. So I think that might be quite harmful to those with schizophrenia. Uh, listen, anyone who's got schizophrenia, I apologise. I, I support you 100%. And you live in the real world. What we're talking about is a fantasy world. And, uh, you know, in the way that uh, perhaps J.K. Rowling's or Terry Pratchett might, I'm, I'm allowing this to sort of run in the fantasy world of that the Tories mean anything to the working people. Interesting. Um, one other little drop of news. Um, uh, right. So, Mo Farah. Right. So, Farah. Uh, I know you're going to jump out of the one we were having and go into that. So, Sir Mo Farah, mm -hmm. uh, a winner of uh, in two separate Olympics, double gold medals for the United Kingdom in in ten thousand five thousand meters. You know, so in two consecutive Olympics won the double, which is almost unheard of. Arguably, Great Britain's uh, 
best ever winner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are people, for example, in cycling and swimming that may have won more medals, but actually to achieve what he's done, sort of like, it's quite un- unheard of, you know, to, yeah. to be on, in a major athletics event to win double, double golds. It's, it's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So it, he's come out very bravely and said that actually, A, he isn't Mo Farah, and B, Technically, he's not legal in the country that he represented these countries in to to do the award. Now, but we we need to we well, need to focus on he previously wasn't. Say that again. He previously wasn't. What do you mean he previously wasn't? He previously wasn't. You said he was illegal in the country. Well, he's he's saying that technically he's still illegal because he's not here under his real name at the moment. So he's he's trying to resolve that with the law firm now. But I'm saying. Up to this I point, okay, I got you. It's a yeah. little more complicated than I thought. Okay, well, it gets a little bit more complicated than that if we go back to the origins of the story. Um, so when I was in Africa in 1990, and at the time, one of the biggest issues in Africa was the conflict in Somalia, um, for two reasons. Um, they'd overthrown the leadership, like they had done in a number of countries in at the time. Uh, but there hadn't been a successor, so actually what you had were 13 to 14 different groups fighting to get control of the of, of the country. Basically. So this, this is something that doesn't give proportional representation a good... Well, you don't, it wasn't a voting, you voted with weaponry. And so, you know, it was literally a war with 13 different armies attacking the capital. Um, right. But also you had the situation where Somaliland, which was... So how can I explain that? A bit like what's happening in Sudan at the moment, for example, where you, the country splits two and they want... This all happened in... Uh, You've got Sudan. Senegal as well, where, where part of the country wants independence from the country it was allegedly part of. So Somaliland had, had also fought for independence from Somalia. A because it always felt it shouldn't be because of the conflict that was happening in Somalia. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> his father fought and died in that war. Uh-huh. And having heard that his father just died at about the age of four, he was then taken by an aunt, and I'm using uh, two fingers as abbreviation marks because I'm not sure if it was a real aunt or not. Um, Double fingers for yeah, four. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm doing that. He was taken, uh, I think, first to Djibouti and then to the UK, hmm. where he was told that if he ever wanted to see his family again, he couldn't try and escape, and he had to obey everything they told him, which was to work for a family as a, I don't know. Um, it was basically uh, a... How would you describe it? I mean, he was told to work as a as a um, do anything that they want you to do, basically. Pretty much safe. I'm, I'm, I was resisting saying that as much as I could. Yeah, too. Me too. But I think that that's that's ultimately. Yeah, I, I think that's came down to yes. He was expected to behave like a slave in this house. Mm-hmm. His name, his real name, for anyone who wants to know who Mofara really is, is Hussein Abdi. Kahan. Um, he flew over from Djibouti when he was about nine. Yeah, yeah. His father was killed by stray gunfire uh, when he was four. Wow. Okay. 
the woman said to him, told him to say his name was Muhammad. She said he would have fake travel documents and he'd be called Mo Farah. Right in front of me, she ripped up the documents, put it in the bin, and at that moment I knew I was in trouble. She said he had to do housework and childcare if he wanted food, if he wanted food in his mouth. If you ever want to see your family again, do not say anything. It was only when he enrolled at Feltham Community College in in uh, year seven um, that he then had some contact with the outside world. Yeah. He told one of his teachers. No, he, he, he told. No, they assumed he was a an unaccompanied refugee. They didn't know that he was uh, under a false name and everything. That's only just come up now. Um, he was often seen as unkempt and uncared for. It was his PE teacher that first noticed a transformation of the boy uh, when he hit the athletic track. And PE seemed to be the only language he really understood because he wasn't speaking very much English at the time. Yeah, of course. And the rest of the story we kind of know because from then on he, he, he went on to represent local, state and then eventually national interests. Um, but what's that like in government? Uh, no, no. I mean, in, t- in terms of uh, representing his country or the country he was living in, in, in Olympic Games and in and in um, all the other games that, that he take part of, um, he he uh, he's been very brave to come out now and say all this because there's a number of different ways people could respond to it. Um, but the reason I think he's done it is a he's got children of his own now, and b to highlight. The unspoken about people that are being smuggled around the world. So we talk about illegal re- immigrants who come by boat as families and what have you. And we talk about people that, that follow safety routes of of, uh, of of refugees. What we don't talk about is this 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 kind of um, smuggling of children as slaves mm-hmm. um, in modern day slavery. Um, and with absolute fear of their lives and the lives of their families. And this, this is even quite an interesting point because of the whole sort of conspiracy theory, um, conspiracy theories going round around the you know the smuggling and trafficking of children, and quite clearly, it's happening. Well, I don't believe that those theories focus on this kind of smuggling. I think they're more interested in in kids that are taken out of the countries they represent rather than the worldwide market to do this with kids who who are receiving absolutely no support at the moment anyway. I mean, a lot of these conflicts are generated by the countries that people go to. And and the, yeah. certainly the armor, the arms, I mean, these 13 tribes that attacked uh, Mogadishu all got their weaponry from somewhere. It wasn't it wasn't self-induced. Right. So, right. you know, what I'm saying is, there's, you know, these are conflicts that people want to forget about. They don't particularly want to talk about. It's not part of that conspiracy theory idea because that's much mm-hmm. more about, if you like, the idea that... Uh, nice American kids would be would be taken away as, and some kind of thing. You know, so I, I, don't, I don't genuinely believe they're concerned about Somali or, or Djibouti children. And Djibouti, as it happens, is, is called a republic, but it's actually a, uh, an army an army base for the French army. So um, right. you know, some, some of these things need to be looked at because they still have the legacy of colonialism and, and of, and of um, control by the West. Um, certain Somalia certainly has for a long, long time. Um, this, is, this is very interesting because it, it's, I mean, as we're just exploring it now, it's opening up all of these other doors. 
I mean, the thing about it is, it was brave of him to open the discussion. It's also going to be brave to see how long that discussion will be had, because mm. I think a lot of the issues don't particularly, people don't want to talk about them. Um, wherever you are in the world, there's going to be, he's going to be on TV. He's got his own documentary coming on yeah. the 13th of this month, um, which is, when is the 13th? Blimey. Next Wednesday, is it? No, it's this week, isn't it? Wait, is it? It's the 14th, it's, it's Wednesday. Yes, yeah, this Wednesday, this Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, this Wednesday. So um, that's going to be a show that's going to hopefully reveal all. But I think what, what we need to keep in mind is that um, this will be a temporary discussion because governments won't want to discuss the legacy of why this is happening mm -hmm. and the legacy of how many children are involved in this kind of... Um, right. And how right. old is he now? He, now? Maybe mid-30s? Yeah, something like that, yeah. He's just finished running, so he's around 20, between 28 and 35, I would have thought. But he, he's... He's already competed in two Olympics, which would have been eight years apart from each other, you know, or, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of like your your run, really. Three out at a push, I would imagine, depending on the sport. He does, he now does um, mm. marathons, but obviously it's not the same as the yeah. commitment to train for an Olympic, for an Olympic event. It's quite different. Um, and what's interesting is that in all the time that he's talked about this journey that he's been on, uh, Somalia still doesn't have stability after all that time. So it's virtually his whole lifetime, there still isn't that kind of stability that people would have hoped by now would have been the case. Mm. Mm. So that's quite interesting. The whole of his journey, the whole of his lifetime, and, and still the people of Somalia are suffering. Right. So this, this is like, this is going to be interesting for pointing the spotlight at Somalia and trafficking and children and all of that. Yeah, but I think it will be temporary. I think they'll move on to something very quickly. Yeah, I but I, I think I think for those who might be quite curious about it, or for those who maybe have have seen Mo Farah running, winning the Olympics, don't really know much about him other than you know he's this sort of superstar sports personality. Um, Finding going behind the veil, as it were, going behind the curtain and finding out more about who these characters are, I think that might maybe reveal some things. He's revealed his real name, so what else is there to be revealed? Surely, these are just the uh, the, the not the spoilers, this is the trailer. Uh, I think he's what revealed the bulk of, I think he's revealed the bulk of what's what's going to be the contentious part of it. He's 39 years old, and as you know, he's been made a sir because of his his, uh, his achievements of representing the UK in athletics. Now, having done all that, he's now at almost 40 years old, being um, questioning everything about his existence. So, uh, for example, does he change his name? Because everyone knows him as Mo Farah, but does he change his name? In fact, do you remember the Olympics where he was doing the Mo sign when... Um, with yeah. Usain Bolt, when Usain Bolt did his sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that would have to change, technically, if he was going to change his name back to what he originally started with. Yeah, that will have to be an H, won't it? Yeah. So it's just interesting that all this has come up. So that's mm. that's where we wanted to start today, really. Um, and, and actually, what's interesting as well, I think, 
for me it's interesting because it, it does tie into this in, in a strange sort of way is there was a story came out today that the British Army is going to investigate suggestions that during its its tenure in Afghanistan SAS, SAS units that's the sort of more uh, special armed services army, repeatedly killed Afghani detainees which we were assuming is in an illegal manner so not giving them a trial Newly obtained military reports suggest that one unit may have killed, unlawfully killed 54 people in one six-month tour. Wow. Now, wow. this has come up This has come up during the, the speeches of the uh, people who want to represent the Tories in the, uh, as the new party leaders. And some of them are saying this is a good thing for the British Army because they, you know, you want to weed out that kind of behaviour. And that's all very well and good from that perspective. But from the perspective of, you know, we were just talking about the, the results of conflict in Africa. And here we have another example of, in, in, in sort of Asia, of, of how the British Army is perpetuating wars and killings. Because if you kill people like that, you can guarantee that their children or grandchildren will grow up with a resentment towards what happened to their relative. Mm-hmm. I just that's, that's quite normal, you know. What's that, that you imagine as a child seeing that happen or knowing that that happened, surely that would build some resentment. Yeah, I think it would. I, I, let's be clear, it's not normal for someone to be killed in that manner because... Well, no, but even, what I'm saying is within that context, that's, oh, yeah, yeah. that's kind of like, not normal, but it's very damaging to a, a, you know, a child's oh, development. Yeah, Mo Farah at the age of nine being trafficked to the UK, like losing his family. There's a lot of trauma that goes into that. So big up to Mo Farah for sharing that, by the way. Um, There's a lot of trauma. The difference is that in Mo Farah's case, his father was almost accidentally killed in as a as a as a civilian in a war that was going on around him, a bit like what's happening in Ukraine to a lot of people today. But with this case with the SAS. The fact that he's well, dying is enough. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is, in a case like this, where the SAS has gone out and effectively executed people because mm. they happen to be on the other side, mm. I mean that goes against all the rules of international law. Mm-hmm. Once you capture people, they should be safe to face trial. So you know we're actually asking Russia not to kill two British people that have gone over as private fighters to help in the Ukraine, and here we have a case where the way they responded to people they've captured is to kill them on the spot. So mm. so we hope they will investigate it. But, you know, stories like this perpetuate the conflict that we see around the world. You know, they don't, don't go any way towards solving any of this. Even if, if Britain had been successful in Afghanistan, whatever that means, you've still got the legacy of things like this. The people growing up thinking, well, you know, this isn't what happened to my relative. So it's good that it's being investigated. It's shameful that still in this day and age this is still happening. You know, you're talking about in any case of, of a war where someone's got superior military or weaponry or whatever, who should be protecting the welfare of the people they've captured because that's international law. And instead carrying out as if they're the judge and jury and, and verdict all in themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in other news, <clears throat> I just wanted to touch on this um, Griner situation. Um, have you heard any more about that? 
Sorry, Griner? What do you mean by Griner? The Griner situation. You know, the uh, the basketball player. Oh, Apple. yeah, no, nothing more about that. No, no, sorry, no. Okay. No, so this is, what, this is still what on. What actually happened um, is she's, uh, what do they call it? She, she said that she's guilty. So she's pled guilty. Um, and so... The well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, she's pled guilty yeah. in a Russian court, in a Russian prison, where she's mm-hmm. getting no representation. I mean, we, we have to look very carefully at when people... Even like yeah. say we, we were talking about the sol- the soldiers that were captured by Russia. You have got to be very careful about people that under duress admit guilt. Absolutely. And, and, and secondly, she's been admitted guilty to to possessing marijuana, which in most countries in the world wouldn't even be arrested. And this case is clearly, really? hey, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't face long term imprisonment if you had some marijuana for your own use in most countries. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's smuggling, isn't it? No, she wasn't trying to smuggle it. I don't not that I'm aware of. No, but they would look at it as smuggling. You've got you've got a drug in your your case, your luggage. Allegedly, that's what it looks like. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, for me personally, I, I I'm not sure that that would. Uh... Okay, you're you're checking into I don't know. To, to Russia. Let's use Russia as an example. Yeah. You've got a pound of weed, solid cannabis in your suitcase. They check it, open it up, boom. You see this great big bag of weed. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, okay, if you're smuggling weed, it's got to be enough for you to sell. If you're if you're, if you're taking it for your own usage, but there is a difference in I how much... Absolutely, and yeah, there is a difference, and I think that there's a difference depending on the country that you're in, but I don't think that, you know, you can kind of bring drugs in in that sense. Which uh, is a shame, really, because it's not really a drug, it's a plant, but anyway. Exactly, I'm thinking that as well, to be honest with you. But then, some cocaine, right? She, she, she pleaded guilty to bringing hashish oil into the country. I would argue that's for your own use, personally. But, I mean, I'm not going to get deep into this because, in a sense, it doesn't matter because her case is a... What's the word I'm looking for? It's an example. It's not... It's not the. It's, she could have been found guilty of anything. That's not the issue. Mm. Mm. The issue is it happened on the eve of the war with Ukraine. And she's been there since, since the beginning. But she's been in prison since then. But what I'm saying is it, it's being held as a kind of um, bargaining chip. That's the way yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't see it as a real case, to be honest with you. Mm. I, you know, I actually don't think very much would have happened if this had happened two years ago. The fact you know something? I, I was reading something about it, and it said that the um, the conviction rate in Russia was something like 90%. <laughs> I still don't think very much would have happened if this had happened two years ago, Jermaine. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I think it's much more relevant. The pressure wasn't on. I think it's much more relevant that the war was about to kick off and the, and the sanctions and everything that have been focused. I mean, the world opinion against Russia. This mm. is a bargaining chip. We've seen mm. these things happen time and time again. You know, mm. there's the whole thing with the British government and 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 um, and Iran with with the case where that woman was in prison for six years and and then Britain yeah. finally paid the debt they owed in the first place and she went out straight away anyway. And it, it does seem really odd as well that they have captured, uh, well, no, technically it wasn't Russia, but it was a, was it a Russian organization or, or Ukraine allies in Ukraine have captured two British 
alleged British soldiers, Lisa, and now Lisa. they Russia have a a sports personality, UK and US. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think it's all about that, and it's very little to do with this. It could, like I said, she could have been found guilty of anything. Small, it isn't it? But that, that's that's what I mean. They've got somebody from the UK or two people yeah. from the UK and and one person from the US. Yeah. Now the difference is the two people from the UK. They got four people from the UK now, but the four people wow. were, were caught were caught in regions of Ukraine fighting for the Ukrainian army against the separatists. But still, but still. right. The but difference is this two, this started. No, but this case started at the beginning of the conflict, before it even started properly. But it was mm -hmm. a point where the West was saying, if you go ahead with this, there can be sanctions to follow. So it was a perfect bargaining chip, if you think about it logically. You know, I don't think there were thousands of Americans they could have arrested at that time in Russia. So it was a perfect opportunity. It was a very opportunist moment to do that. Of course. Of course. Um, which brings us on to the thing we started with. Because all of these questions are going to have to be dealt with by the next leader of, of, of Parliament, the next Prime Minister, who at the moment will, uh, the Tory will, will be part of the Conservative Party. And at the <laughs> moment, the Conservative Party is taking until September the 5th to discover who that person will be. Don't the schools go back around then? Yep, absolutely they do. So, in theory, by the time the schools go back, at the same sort of point, we will know who the new leader of the Conservative Party and the new Prime Minister until the next election will be. Now, first of all, we have to say this. The fact that the UK is allowing uh, Boris Johnson to carry on leading the country after everything he's been accused of and the reason he's been asked to step down and he resigned is, if any other country was doing it, it would be seen as macabre, as bizarre. Or something absolutely absolutely like the fact that he's even been in this long it just it felt like a dictatorship that, that's all well it also it also it's like if imagine a doctor who found guilty of bad practices in his hospital but you're what you're gonna let him stay on until you hire another doctor it's like <laughs> i mean that's a very strange uh scenario <laughs> to go yeah, yeah. To, to, to persist with but but us having if we leave that aside, we've got the situation now of 10, or oh, sorry, 11, it was yesterday, although it's come, probably come down to about seven today, leading Conservatives who are fighting for the uh, right to become the leader of the party. Um, now, one thing needs to be pointed out for those who don't know the politics of Britain very well, is that the Conservatives traditionally were a very... Um, I guess you'd call them right, obviously a right party to the right, but they were kind of just to the right. And what Boris and his friends have done is push it much more to the right. A, to take off the votes off people like Britain First and, and the UKIP parties, but also to push the kind of politics of what they consider their voting populace to be. And they have been quite successful in doing that. Oh, very successful. The reason I bring this up is, there are large numbers in the Conservative Party that don't recognise the party they belong to today. Because they recognise a, a different type of party that when they were there was not ha the face of what it is today. So it's kind of gone back to a kind of Margaret Thatcher era. So we've had like uh, 30 years of a different type of conservatism and now we're back to the Thatcher era. Um, so the legacy of this election will be defined by 
what which wing of the party gets the most votes mm. and that's important because there, there will be a power struggle now for that a power struggle based on personality politics and and that kind of idea of where the heart of the party lies this will be in, really interesting in terms of <clears throat> what happened with labor back in 2019 how there was a, a jostling for the leadership and then the leader was chosen and then he still failed in in winning enough votes um well the how the is- vote breaks down within the party now i mean we could see a what do you call it diversification i, I guess of votes potentially if they choose to go more to the center of the right i think i think the big difference of what you just said about labor is the tories will remain in power in the country yeah, so of course. If, even if they elected a dog, the dog would be prime minister for two years. So that's that's kind of a big difference because obviously Labour didn't have that option when they yeah. had the fight for their leadership. Um, however, they had the election and lost anyway. But I'm just saying they, they didn't have time to ferment any of that. Like this, this person will have two years technically until the next election unless something happens before it. You know, because they hold an 80 seat majority, it's very difficult to get that to change unless. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's really quite telling because when you were mentioning it just, just a moment ago about taking the votes, are you telling me that there are significant enough votes for them to push to the right and push an 86 seat majority? Push wow. it where? Wow. Push it where? Sorry, what do you mean? Well, I don't understand the last bit. What you say? Majority, the Conservatives, their majority is is huge. Yeah, but it has been since the election. Nothing's changed. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm talking about is the results of the election. They went further to the right and increased their their majority. Well, you could put it like that if you want, but it was actually a straight straight shootout between two parties. So it, it, again, it wouldn't have mattered what if it had been to the left of the Tory, but it wouldn't make any difference because it was literally a shootout between Labour and Conservatives. And at the well, time, you know what I'm saying because you made a point about it being about them pushing further to the right to take the votes off the UKIPs and the Britain First. Or oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well I'm talking I, about in terms of taking, collecting up those additional votes instead of having them vote for those other smaller parties. That's quite interesting. I find that well, how that breaks down quite interesting. They, well, it was okay. It wasn't as simple as that because also there was the whole Brexit thing as well. So even having a different Brexit vote and still they meant still retained it. Ah, oh, but, 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 but the point about that is that the, the Brexit vote captured all of the Conservative voters, whereas the move to the right was capturing a certain stream of people that would normally not have voted Conservative, would have voted for right. more extreme parties who then would vote, give extra voting to the Tories. But, but you have to remember in a lot of cases, exactly. a lot of cases in the election, they won seats in places where it was mainly Labour in the past. So what actually happened as well there was that Labour supporters had been instrumental in pushing for leaving the Europe and the Labour Party wasn't reflecting that. So that's why they have such a huge majority. It was a combination of three or four different factors all pushed it towards that. Mm. That won't be the same in the next election because we're not voting to stay part of Europe or not. That's already been established. So actually, it will be more about policies. And the the biggest policy that the country has had is that we've had over 12 years of of, uh, austerity measures on on the poor. 
So that literally the poor and their wages haven't increased in, in 12 years. And many sectors have lost their jobs. I mean, the latest ones will be the whole, something you know very well, the, the uh, entertainments, uh, what do they call it? It's not it's called the entertainment industry. The leisure industry, the, what do you call it? You know, like the... the Tourism. To bars, no, but bars to... Um, hospitality. Thank you, hospitality. The whole hospitality sector's huge amounts of losses in terms of employment. Even today, it's not nowhere near back to where it was because mm-hmm. of uh, the effects of COVID and the effects of the economy. So so we, we face another 10 years... It's, it's just how they've handled the whole pandemic. But we face another 10 years of austerity because most of the people standing at the top of the, of the Conservative Party leadership battle now are trying to say, well, we can't solve this by taxation. We can't we can't bribe our way out of this. We have to go through the hardship so that we can have money at the end and, and rebuild the economy. So what you're saying is we've had 12 years of hardship. We're going to face another five or six years of it before we even look to seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So one of the biggest factors for, what's his name? Um, who's the, the guy leading the, the polls at the moment for the Conservative Party? Sunik, oh. you know the Sunik, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's yeah. he, he was against Boris's idea of giving sort of uh, ta- like making tax easier for people and, and giving them uh, handouts because he felt that was a backward step because it's going to just make inflation go even higher. So he's definitely not going to be arguing for that when he if he was to become uh, leader of the party. Um, and a number of the other candidates are saying we can't. There's no quick sol- solution to this. Now, what's well, interesting you is, know, it would be really interesting if they had a, a quick fix or, or somebody that they all kind of united behind and said, yeah, we want you in. Come and take oh, over. They no, don't have that. The quick fix will be a slow, laborious way out of this. Uh, this, uh, Did you say cult? No, economic hardships. Oh. Uh, I, I was struck by, I heard someone... Uh, the opposition leader of the Sri Lankan parliament and his criticism of the leadership of the country which is almost dissolved and can't be found at the moment. You saw pictures of them taking over the palace. Um, he's, he's saying there's an, Armag- an economic Armageddon uh, in every household. And you could kind of argue that in the UK at the moment. I mean, there's no solution to... Uh, we're talking about another £1,000 on, on fuel prices this year. You know, Inflation is going higher and higher. Uh, the, the, the pound is losing its value. You know, there is no easy solution you can see. And yet, and yet, they find money when they need it. You know, there's money for wars. Never has been a problem. Never been a problem. Having money for wars. Never been a problem. Like, we will give a billion pounds to the Ukraine. Not a problem. And they find money for everything they want. Like, sometimes when the banks are in trouble, they find money to support them. And when we say find money, let's be clear about what we're talking about. Jermaine has pointed this out many times before in the past, and I'm going to put it out today. Finding money means using taxpayers' money for what they choose to use it for. So in this case, it would be to finding money uh, to, let's say, for example, help with a, a war across training people in Sweden and Norway in case Russia attacks them. Yeah. But they're not finding money to help the poor in in the poverty they're going through in the past 12 years and now going forwards. 
Boris has said that he's going to be. <laughs> and this is the audacity. The guy's on the way out and he's still making promises to the Ukraine. Um, he's going to be training 10,000 people um, per month, per, sorry, per every 120 days. Um, so that'll be really interesting. But if you ask him to give money to poor households right now, that's not an option. We can't, we can't just have a magic money tree. Mm-mm. So what I'm saying is it's interesting how they find it when they want it, but not the things that we want it for. It's just very interesting. That's, um, that, 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 that's a common thing. And it's been a common thing for so long. This is not something that's new no, no. from the Conservatives have introduced. This has been throughout history, but, regardless but, but, of the party. Well, you and say so, that, but I, I want to focus on the past 10 years. Yeah, I'm just saying, as we're coming to the end of this episode, I think it's, it's, you know, just to kind of round it up, it's something that a lot of people all over the world will feel and resonate with. But but, but in this country, we have found money, huge amounts of money for the pandemic, which you can say fair enough, but but I'm just saying it was found. When it was Mm -hmm. needed, it was found. Yeah. We found money for... We were under austerity, right? Exactly, exactly that. We found money for Brexit, the whole Brexit process, the elections, the campaigning, Found money for that. And by the way, all of these people who are standing for the party leadership have been told they can't spend excess of £300,000 on their campaigns. They know how to fundraise. No, no, I'm not even sure it's... Well, all I'm saying is any of that money still comes out of the public purse. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, right? Now, what I'm saying is time and time again, they find this money. When the banks collapse, they found the money. Um, and yet, when it's asked to help the poor in this country, well, then it's about, what did you say to me the other day? Let's <coughs> say fair. Let the markets decide how it should go. Yeah. You know, suddenly it's about non-intervention. When all, up to now, everything we talked about was absolutely intervention. <coughs> I guarantee you, if, we had a, if a war kicked off across Europe, we will find money time and time again to pay for it. Absolutely. But if there's no war, people are just going to have to suffer. So you have a war. Regardless. (laughs) I was about to say, yeah. Either way, people are going to suffer. So if you're listening to this in any country around the world, just bear in mind, in times of hardship, in times of peace, we suffer. In times of hardship, in times of war, we suffer. And they claim that they're doing this on behalf of their populations. It would be so nice and so useful if people could stand up and say, you're not doing this in my name. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot, Mark. I like that ending. And you know what? We will end right there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Curious Muse on Curious Anarchy. Um, I have been your host, Jermaine, aka Curious, and I've been joined by the wonderful Marky, aka Content. Any final words? I want final, to see final what, words, I should say. I'd like to see what these candidates do with their broom when they have to sweep up what, what, <laughs> what they left behind, what was left behind by the previous regime. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please, at us on Twitter or Instagram, at underscore Curious Anarchy. Signing out. Thank you all so much. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Sayonara.